0: This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another World of UX podcast, This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me on the podcast. We've been talking lately about a pretty popular topic, actually, because there's a lot of people out there that are interested in getting into UX and they're interested in hearing from UX professionals about what you need to do, what you can do different types of information to help the person along in their journey. So we are on part four currently of the topic. So you want to be a UXer? And my goal in this series, which is going to be expanded even a little further, we're going to carry this on another couple of weeks beyond tonight. But what we're trying to do, what I would love to do, I love when somebody is interested in being in UX, Uh, We we like to help people along their way. I've always been dedicated to it. Do everything I can to help people to go forward. The only thing that I ever stand against is when someone is falsifying their way into UX. Someone is claiming that they're doing UX and they're not. Uh, Someone is putting on a front and you may not realize it, but this is something that's actually pretty common. There are a lot of people who... Falsify their qualifications to get into UX roles. There are people who will claim that they've been doing UX longer than what they really have. Uh, And more specifically, there are people who know that they have zero UX experience, yet they will change their resume. They will change the, but put different buzzwords in their LinkedIn profile, apply for a job, and in many cases, These people have been getting UX jobs in a lot of places. There are people who have been in a UX position for an extremely short period of time, yet advanced to a leadership role, they become lead UX practitioners, lead product designers, lead researchers. Folks, you cannot get into a lead role, not not ethically. You cannot get into a lead or a senior UX role in the matter of one year or two years or even three years. A company may indeed put somebody in that position, and that's why we brought up the word ethical, because it simply is not doable. It's not legit. And if that individual went to another company that was further along in their UX maturity you would find that they would struggle because they're not really ready for prime time. Now, the reason why I even brought some of this up is there's people I've mentioned this on another podcast. They talk about some of the things that we say that it's gatekeeping and they say that we're trying to keep people from doing X, Y and Z. We're not trying to keep anybody from doing anything except for being a poser. We're trying to keep people from being upstarch. We're trying to keep people from being retrofits who are faking their way into something that they really aren't doing. That's the only thing that we are trying to stop. So don't believe the hype. Uh, Some of you hear somebody, you heard that podcast? Yeah, and he did this, that, and the other. Yep, and did exactly what we were supposed to do. So I'm gonna stand firm on that, and I'm gonna encourage people out there, if you are pursuing UX advancement, If you are pursuing a UX career and you're doing it the right way, we're behind you. One million percent. If you have done some of the things that I was talking about and you're advancing in UX, but you face the fact, you know what? There are some things I really need to grow in. He's right. Other people I've been talking to, they're right. There are some things that I need to do. I can be better. I can bring more value, more power to you. We're with you the only thing we're standing against is unethical professional practices. Now, that said, on the previous 3 episodes, we were talking about issues associated with personality. What kind of personality is needed in order to be a user experience professional? What type of traits would would support my advancement or my goal? So we covered those a little bit and we're going to shift tonight and we're going to look at this this weekend next week. We're going to look at this a little bit of a different way and we're going to start talking about some of the work. So there's one thing to evaluate your advancement into UX or even your advancement if you're in the position. And we looked at that with regard to traits and things that will qualify you that say, yeah, this is something I think I can do. Yeah, I think this fits my persona. It, it's right along the line of how I think and how I operate. So, And the reason that we stress that is because it will help you if you can do real UX work naturally, that it's not something that, that you force. But if it's something that you can flow in from a natural perspective, you're going to be more better off if you can do that. So now we're going to look at the work. And there's a very long list of things that I like to present. I'm thinking it's going to be this week and next week. If it extends beyond that, then it extends beyond that. And then we've got some treats after that because we're going to start doing some interviews and sharing some interviews with different UX professionals so you guys can hear about UX from other people, the the thoughts that other people have, journeys that other people have, experiences that other people have. It's important for you to hear from a lot of different people and a lot of times people that you normally wouldn't get to hear. We're going to bring all that to you. So that's on the horizon when we finish this topic. But let's start going through the list. And I'm going to refer to this as a tasks and responsibilities list. There are quite a few things on this list, and each one of these appears. Uh, some of you have heard my talk on the four pillars of UX. A lot of things that I'm going to be covering here, practically all of them, actually appear on that illustration. And we, it, when you look at that illustration, for those of you who have seen it, if you haven't, just follow me on on LinkedIn. You'll you'll see it. I share it out there periodically. Um, look for my, t- my, my talk. It's on YouTube about the four pillars of UX and you'll see the presentation of the four pillars. I also will be sharing that illustration on the new World of UX page on LinkedIn. All these things are listed and when we presented that illustration, we're trying to show people that UX is much bigger, much broader than people, a lot of people assume And so if you don't really understand what UX is, if you don't understand what the work really constitutes, and then you run into it and and you're shocked because you see things you didn't expect, it's like running into a brick wall. And so you're trying to get into UX and then now your expectations have been shattered because, Hey, I didn't expect to see that. Oh, is that really the kind of work that you guys do? I thought that you just worked on interfaces and made things pretty. Aren't you guys UI and UX people? No, we're not UI and UX people. And got to give some people out there time to make that shift because so many people have been thinking UI UX, but there is no such thing as UI UX. UI is a subset of UX. And so, some people who do UX don't do actual visual design. They don't design interfaces. Some people are just researchers. Some people are just focusing on information architecture, though that's somewhat rare today. But UX is a big, big beast that consists of a lot of different tasks and responsibilities. So let's start going through some of these things to help you to understand if you are you want to be a UXer. Let's help you to understand what you're going to be getting into. Let's try to help you to get a broader picture and, and a very realistic uh, perspective of what you can expect. Now number one, the first thing I want to mention is heuristics and usability. There are several reasons that I mentioned this first. Most importantly though, heuristics, this is this is about common convention, best practices, proven principles that exist within a design, things that people should know if you're a UX professional. And the funny thing about that, there's something that I call a personal heuristic repository. Now, what is a personal heuristic repository? A personal heuristic repository is the knowledge that an individual has with regard to common convention, best practices, and proven principles. Every UX professional does not have the same personal heuristic repository level. Hence, if a person lacks knowledge about common convention, best practices, and proven principles, they will not be able to evaluate the work, whether it's a a new design, a redesign, just basic evaluation. They won't be able to, to apply a broad knowledge of heuristics. Now, please know and understand, as you grow in UX, your personal heuristic repository expands. The more research that you either conduct or the research data you are exposed to expands your personal heuristic repository. Now, the other reason that I mention this is because for every true UX professional, no matter what type of UX work you're doing, heuristics should be the first thing that comes out of your UX toolbox, so to speak, because you want to apply the heuristics that you have access to, the heuristics that you know to provide recommendations, to provide quick evaluation of design direction, certain micro experiences. You can look at them with a heuristic eye and that will help you to bring value for your users, and help you to bring value to your team, help you to bring value to your organization. Unfortunately, a lot of people today who are in UX have little to no heuristic, personal heuristic repository. They have no real knowledge, a lot of people, of what heuristics are, cannot define them, cannot explain them, don't know anything when they see it. And a lot of people will try to speak from a standpoint of intuition, or even bias, and say that that's heuristic. I've seen people before hear the word heuristic, know that they knew nothing about heuristics, and the very next day, they were using the word heuristics because a lot of people today, especially with the landscape of posers, retrofits, and upstarts operating in the UX world, are in the business of taking a buzzword and just mentioning it, and the mentioning of the buzzword is supposed to mean something. No, it does not. Make sure that you know what heuristics are. Make sure that you continue to learn. Another phrase uh, uh, that is synonymous with heuristic evaluation is an expert review or, or a usability audit. All of those things, they're the same thing. So it, it is counting on us as individuals to be experts, which means we have to grow. We have to learn We have to to separate our own biases from our recommendations. We need to make sure that we're managing our own biases so that heuristics and its running buddy usability will run parallel and we can present that information. It also helps to keep us from conducting research when it's not necessary. And that does not mean that you won't conduct research on something that a heuristic might speak to because sometimes you still have to do the research because you have stakeholders that don't know and understand or sometimes you just want to validate something and yes it is okay to ask the same question even though you know you don't research something once and then never go back to that again you can continue to validate you can continue to prove and when you conduct research like that you're able to give that data to your stakeholders so that they can have confidence in what you're recommending. You don't want them to just believe you because you said it. Another aspect of of being a UX professional is that we are willing to not only give a recommendation, but always willing to diplomatically and with tact, professionally, explain why, when it is necessary, why are you recommending that we use this nomenclature instead of another why are you recommending this aspect of the layout instead of another if you're going to be a a reliable and a trustworthy ux professional you must be willing to explain don't condescend but explain don't don't talk down to people don't don't feel like oh why don't they get it? And then you're getting impatient, which is why emotional intelligence is extremely important to be successful as a UX professional. So be patient, be professional, be ready to explain, have the heuristics and the usability facts ready, and make your presentation, give your direction. Another aspect is efficiency. A UX professional needs to understand what constitutes efficiency within a design that's a part of usability if you look at some of the 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 classic documentation as well as a lot of the new documentation on usability some definitions even say that usability is about efficiency if if the design is not efficient then the usability is basically low And you can design something, you can put something together in an interface and it'll show up in the browser and people may even try to use it. That doesn't mean it's efficient. So the knowledge that we gain as we And we're always learning. UX professionals are always growing. We're always sharpening our saw. We're always trying to make sure that we're doing the right thing for the business, for the users. We're trying to advocate for the users. We're trying to make sure that we understand the business needs and we're operating within the bounds of the constraints. But we want to make sure that things are efficient, as as efficient as they can possibly be. This may require that you may need to iterate on your designs. If that's what it takes, that's what we do. But make sure that the design is efficient and that that actually will will overlap a lot of other areas. Maybe it's not efficient because the contrast is bad. Maybe the design is not efficient because the 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 size of the font is too small. Maybe the 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 gray text on the white background doesn't work well. Maybe the the headings Over uh, throughout the paragraph. The visual hierarchy is not what it should be and the headings don't really help people to understand what's going on so it's not as scannable as it should be. All of these things factor into efficient design. So the less a person knows, however, the less you'll be able to validate and confirm and really know. You don't wanna say something is efficient unless you can prove it. Because genius design, that's not the work of a a UX professional. Bias design recommendations, that is not the work of a UX professional. And be willing to take your designs uh, and and subject them to research so that you can prove that the recommendations are, are efficient. And if you find out that it's not as efficient as it could have been, then fine. Humble yourself. Let's go back. Let's iterate. And let's take the data that we gathered from the research. Let's make modifications and then go and test it again. And we'll talk about different different research methods later on in the list. Next we want to talk about something called affordances. And this is something that gets missed a lot of times when people are practicing UX. Affordances are basically it has to do with when someone is looking at your design, when someone is looking at your solution, your interface. How I'm going to use this word again efficiently have you communicated through the layout, through the use of typography, iconography, colors? what what have you communicated to them that they can or cannot do within your design? this is a this is an issue of perception for the user and the way that we structure an interface. The way that we lay things out, does the clickable element look clickable? Do the buttons look like buttons? Does the button look active? There, There are a lot of different things. What can they click on? Where can they scroll? What do they have to interact with in order to help them complete a task? What do they have to do in order to start a task? Affordances are revolving around all of these things. And so when we're designing, we need to make sure that we're communicating effectively and so that users know very clearly that it's very intuitive that they know what they can and cannot do within the interface that you have presented before them. Now, last two for today, and we're going to present these together nomenclature and taxonomies two of the key factors associated with information architecture and the product of these two uh two things come to mind one is an information scent uh it was determined through some research years ago that people happen to look for information in a way using methods psychological methods cognitive methods if you will that are similar to the way that animals forage for food. Hence, people need an information sent. They need cues. We give people cues in the interface through the nomenclature, the way that we label things, the way we name things, whether it's in navigation, whether it's in a call to action, whether it's, again, the heading that's in a paragraph, the title of the page, the way that we use labels in a design, help people to understand where they are, where they can go, what they can do. And then taxonomies has to do with the way things are grouped. And both of these all always make you think about navigation. If you have things grouped in a way that people can't find things, then now your, your interface is a fail. Now we're generating annoyance and people have annoyance thresholds. They're only going to be annoyed or allow themselves to be annoyed for so long before they abandon your site, abandon your your (laughs) uh, e-commerce path. They don't like the way that this is going. You know what? It's in the cart, but I'm leaving anyway. And people get abandonment because people have problems with the nomenclature. They have problems with the taxonomy. They have problems with the affordances and they abandon the shopping experience. All of these things are key to an optimal user experience. All of these things are the types of things that you will do some more, some less. If you're not working for a company that has e-commerce and you won't have to deal with some of the things that I just mentioned, at least not now, who knows where you're going to be working In another two or three years, this is another reason why if you want to succeed as a UX professional, you need to broaden your knowledge base, broaden what you're exposed to, always continue to learn, always continue to expand your horizons so you can be the absolute best UX professional that you can be. Folks, we're out of time for today. So thanks for joining me again today. uh, This is Darren Hood, the host of.